0: Scott Harkey.
1: All right, it's rebrand podcast time. As you guys know, we tell untold stories of world changing brand campaigns as told by marketers who are building them. I'm your host and founder, Scott Harkey of the Harkey Group. And today, we're going to hear about how Verizon Wireless took a completely different approach to connect with this community, launching a gospel choir competition. And that competition was called How Sweet the Sound. Joining us is Jeff Greenfield, who is the CEO and co-founder at Provolytics, which is a future-proofed marketing measurement company. As the next generation of attribution, Provolytics unifies media, including wall gardens, providing duplicated privacy complaint reporting, which includes media synergies, carryover, and separates incrementability from the baseline. All right. I'd love to talk about some measurement stuff too, but uh, let's also get into Verizon's Effie winning How Sweet the Sound campaign. All right, here we go. I'm with Jeff Greenfield, the CEO and co-founder
2: of Provolytics. What's up, man? Let's get into it. How's it going, Scott? It's going great. I'm excited as can be to talk about this. This was uh, was definitely a very very exciting campaign to come up with, and the results from it were just absolutely astounding. Well,
1: talk to me. How did you? So you're working with Verizon, you're working with their agency. How did you guys collaboratively come up with the idea? And tell us about really the idea and and the promotion and,
2: and the campaign. Yeah. So at the time, it was the early 2000s, and I was doing product placement and branded entertainment. So I was putting products into TV and film. But there were always brands that were looking to go the extra mile. They wanted to do a little extra. And so at that time any types of campaigns that I would put together would always integrate with product placement. To me it's like, hey, if you're spending dollars on media, you might as well throw a little bit of dollars towards an uh, integration campaign. They take a while to take effect cuz it takes time to to film things. Uh, but sometimes you come up with like a huge hit. And so I was uh, I was speaking at an event someplace in the Midwest of, and it was a a group of independent ad agencies. And after I presented, the head of an agency came up to me and he said, hey, you know, we've got a client that we're pitching. And actually they were pitching a a restaurant group called Captain D's, uh, which is a restaurant group in the South. And I had just done some work with some of the first season of American Idol had just completed. And I was starting to do some work with some of the artists that were from there. And I was fascinated to find out about how the whole process of the auditions worked, that really that they use the audition process as a way to build buzz for the, uh, the program. And what they did is, is that they would audition people. People would, then if someone won in a local city, they would send out a press release to the local newspaper. There was a lot of on-the-ground work that was done. So that by the time they came to air, they had all of this buzz that had built up. So I got to work with the agency and crafted this idea for the way to connect with the African-American community was to go through music, news gospel music and the church. That was the way in for a brand. It was pitched to Captain D's, and they were going in to be the AOR for Captain D's. I was brought in as kind of the the SME, the subject matter expert to build this all out. And then uh, they didn't win the pitch. Someone else won it. But the CMO loved the idea. They absolutely loved it. So then I thought, okay, that was it. It was done. And then about a month or two later, the CEO of the agency reached out to me. and He says, listen, he says, we have our biggest client is Verizon. And at the time, Verizon had like 30 agencies that were running their media because it was all – remember." Verizon was all of these like Bell companies and everything was run regionally. There was no like national advertising for Verizon back then. And they saw this as an opportunity to go to the corporate office and pitch them a big idea, something big to get them really excited. And with that, they could maybe win a larger piece of the business. So I went down to their offices. I think they were in South Carolina, which is the agency. And we worked on building it out. And coming up with really cool ideas, like, you know, how are we going to get people to talk about this, to build the buzz? And came up with this idea of the pastor packet. And the pastor packet was what would be delivered to the actual churches. And the concept was that we would give the church for anyone that signed up through their kind of unique link, which is the same way that you work with uh, like colleges and stuff, that they would get a commission, essentially an affiliate commission. Now, let me back up just a little bit, because what's important to understand is that Verizon had recognized that the African-American community was the largest user of data in the early 2000s. And so if you go back to the early 2000s, everyone had cell phone plans. It was all minutes, but they knew what was coming down the pike. They knew that data was the future. It was going to be unlimited minutes and unlimited text pretty soon but no one was aware of it they knew that they needed to be able to create a relationship with the african american community they hired every single multicultural agency in the country and they found that there was a direct correlation with how many dollars they spent based upon how much <laughs> how much market share they lost so as a company every time they spent more money they actually lost market share because they were advertising as verizon and all they did was they took the same ads that they had before And they just put pictures of people of color in them. So it was very, it was not authentic. It wasn't real. And so I was like, you know, they have to create an authentic experience and it also needs to come from the community. And so we pitched them on it. It was a very expensive plan. They pushed back a little bit. In fact, I was there for the pitch with the CMO Verizon in New Jersey. They loved it. They pushed back a little bit, wanted us to rejigger it a little bit, we changed it around a little bit, and it was a lower cost plan. And then it kind of slowed down. And then at that point, I had another client, the client I was telling you about earlier in Phoenix, that had signed the agreement and was ready to move forward. And so I kind of dozed out in terms of what was going on. And then I got a call from my lawyer one day that said, hey, I thought you said that this, how sweet the sound thing wasn't going on, and I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I haven't heard anything. I've been talking to them. Nothing's been going on. And he faxed me a copy of the back page of the LA Times because it was airing in a month on the on the Gospel Music Channel. They had gone ahead and done a pilot of it and someplace in Tennessee, Memphis, I believe. And it was a massive, huge hit. So the Gospel Musical Channel picked it up and then they did a tour for a number of years and the reason it won an Effie is because it was the only thing that Verizon had ever done that had actually gained market share for them in the African-American community. And I think even as of like just a couple of years ago, it's it's still going on. It's still alive, which is absolutely, positively amazing. But it really was an American Idol-style contest for gospel musical choirs. And it had never been done before, which was absolutely amazing. <laughs> this is awesome.
1: Okay, and I, I love you gave the setup and... and... The goal and the demographics. Wow, what it, and the twist and turns of like I'm just following the story of you pitching with the agency and the first one, of course, not working out. I've co-pitched, you know, a million times, it doesn't work out. And you know, like, oh, we wasted our time. And then the CMO of Verizon's like, Yeah, we like this. And holy cow, like that makes a ton of sense in, in terms of creating the PR buzz around what, why American Idol was so successful. The tryouts really just helped promote the show. And what a targeted market. The quote of, I'll show you a great marketer, I'll show you a better niche marketer stands true here for sure. And I've actually looked at different demographics of whether it's Christians or Baptists, like the church community is huge. And what a, <laughs> this is a crazy campaign. I wonder if you want an nephew. And it worked. It actually achieved some business goals. So this is like checking every box of what this show is all about, of solving a problem, being super creative creating some IP around something ownable for Verizon and actually having it drive the initiative that they were trying to drive in terms of getting more engaged in the African-American community. (laughs) Holy cow. So what was the show in Phoenix then? And then did you get any... Were you still on retainer? Like, did they kind of like say it was going on when it wasn't, Whether there's was some weirdness there, right?
2: Have, I have a lot of ticky-tack
1: questions, I guess.
2: It's like everything in the entertainment community. Things start off great, and then they always end in litigation. So, but I learned a very important lesson. The important lesson that I learned is that even though I was working very closely with this agency, and even though all the materials said copywritten by me, and even though I filed it with the Producers Guild and stuff like that, I never had an NDA with them because I had such a great working relationship with the agency. So unfortunately, that ended in litigation, became a very expensive lesson for me. And that's why I'll tell anyone who's listening, NDAs don't sound that important, but always insist on getting a non-disclosure agreement. It's incredibly, incredibly important. Incredibly important. I've always thought
1: of NDAs as such bullshit, but it actually holds weight in in the litigation. Yeah.
2: Yes they're not, you definitely have to have them. And what I, would, what I would tell everyone to do is that each state has unique laws. Some states have what we call trade secret laws as well. And so what's really important is to wherever you're located at, and especially now because everyone's remote, really get a good understanding of what your state laws are and even talk to like an IP attorney so that you're not freely sharing ideas with folks. But having that NDA is like right now I'm in the ad tech industry, so we all understand the value of NDAs. But, you know, in the marketing world, I was like, hey, you know, you know, someone's not going to try to screw me. But unfortunately, that's, that's what happens. But with the other gig, that didn't happen. The other gig was also a very large company, a publicly traded company. It was a company called Metasys, based out of Phoenix, where you're at. And this happened like right around the same time. They were a company that created a product called Restalin. Restolin is a sister product to Botox. So you get Botox to get rid of the wrinkles. It makes things so you can't move it. Restylane was this incredible product that was a filler. You would use it to fill the lines, like the AIDS lines around the size of your nose and around your mouth. And what was amazing about this product is that when it came out, there was nothing like it. And literally, if you had like a 30 year high school reunion coming up on a Friday and you look at yourself on a Monday and you're like, oh my God, You could go to the doctor's office Monday afternoon, have this stuff put in your face, and by Friday, you're going to look like 10 years younger. It was unbelievable. No facelift needed nothing. So the company had come out with this like around 2001, 2002, and they got massive coverage for it. Uh, It was in the Wall Street Journal, lots and lots of press coverage, and every dermatologist and plastic surgeon in the country started covering this. Now, this product was what we would call a B2B to, B to C product because the company was selling to physicians who were then selling to the consumers. So every one of these doctors, they had Botox in their office because everybody wanted Botox and Botox came from a much larger company called Allergen. And uh, this company was a lot smaller. Medicis provided the fillers. And so the question was, how do we continue to get buzz for this? Because we found out that our competitor is now coming out with a competitive product called Juvederm, and then it turns out that they got Juvederm fast-tracked, which meant it was going to be in market in six months. Not only that, the salespeople were already telling the doctors, "Hey, we're going to make this available for to you for half the cost of what you're paying for Restylane," and your patients won't even know the difference. So they're like, "What are we going to do?" So went to Phoenix did a whole process to kind of look at their business and understand it. And then I'm in the office with the CEO and the CFO. And he says, okay, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What, what did he come up with? And I said, well, we're going to do a reality TV show. And he looks at me and he, <laughs> he raises his voice and he yells at me, what the fuck do we know about doing a reality TV show? And Luckily, I've been in situations like this before with CEOs, because what they're looking to do at that point is they're looking to see if you really believe in the idea, because most people would like buckle and say, oh, well, I got something else better. And I said to him, I said, what the fuck do we know about a reality TV show? Have you seen the shit that's on TV right now? And I stayed quiet. And he stared me down for about 45 seconds. And then he pushed on his intercom and asked his assistant, say, can you print up? five copies of that TV show idea I had, (laughs) he had come to the same idea that I had come up with, which was to do a show about women and female empowerment and about how women want to be stronger and look better and why people would go through this process. So we built out, and the idea was that, hey, listen, We could go out with cameras. It wouldn't even have to have film in the camera. It wouldn't even matter because when you show up with TV cameras, people freak out. Everybody wanted to be on TV. This is like 2005, 2006. And so we came up with this idea for hottest mom in America. And so remember, again, this is the same concept, the American Idol idea of of the power of the buzz from the audition. So the first city, we chose cities that were strategic to where their doctors were located. The first city was Dallas. We rented out the big arena there. Advertised on TV and radio for about two weeks before. A little like digital, like some digital retargeting and stuff, but mainly we're advertising on like the Oprah Winfrey show locally. It's funny because we polled people later on and a lot, of, a lot of women who were there remembered Oprah talking about the show, but that was not the case. We just advertised during the Oprah Winfrey show. And I remember showing up, like the audition started at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday. And I remember getting there at 5 o'clock in the morning, and there were already a couple hundred women in line waiting. And I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. And so we had a whole audition process where women would go up to a computer. They would talk into the computer and talk about why they thought they were the hottest mom in America. And then they would go through like an interview process. Someone would get pulled aside, and then we chose women from... Each city who would go through like a boot camp and then that would be filmed for episodes and things like that. And then once we had buzz in Dallas, and I think we staked out like the Dallas Morning News, that was the big paper there. And we waited till like five o'clock at night to see the reporters leave so we could find out what bar they went to so we could start to talk to them and see the buzz. But once we were in Dallas, then I think we went to Miami. We went to six different cities and at each one, the buzz built up till so eventually we were in New York. And in New York, it was we had helicopters, we had network coverage, we had the insider that was there, and it was just absolutely insane. The only thing we did is that we took all those videos that the women recorded and we put them all online. And that had them go to the website to then search for their name so they could find and watch their video online and share it with friends, which is. Really cool for 2005, but where the brand got the buzz from this is that all the doctors were there. Now, you would think that these doctors, you're a plastic surgeon or you're a dermatologist, and your job is you're taking care of men and women. You know, the most beautiful people in the community are coming in because you're injecting them with Botox on a regular basis. But we couldn't get rid of these doctors, they would close down their offices all day to just come and hang out. Not only that. But we also had members of the investment community. Since we weren't part of the team of Metasys, they invited people from the investment community and they hung out all day as well, too. But what ended up happening to the brand is that as soon as we announced The Hottest Mom in America being sponsored by Metasys, they were back on the cover of the Wall Street Journal almost within a couple of days. And their buzz just went up like crazy. And not only that, but the sales went through the roof. And we added about a half a billion dollars in market cap to the stock as a result of it. Okay, so we're, we're way over and we we're going to break this up into two,
1: but I'm glad we jumped into it because we're going to, we've got more to talk to you about. And I want to talk more about the inside of contesting and how it's not leveraged. And it just seems like all ideas seem to be a little bit repackaged, which is, this is such a great example. So here's the deal. I want to hear more about your attribution analytics uh, company. Let's talk some other campaigns. Let's end it right here. And then we're going to bring you right back. We're going to talk some more. So big thanks to Jeff Greenfield, CEO, co-founder of ProVolytics for joining us. I mean, man, the the power of these contests. so I want to dive into this more. We're going to tease out our next episode here. And again, we've already talked about Jeff, the hottest mom in America contest. So is there another one that you want to use? Yeah, we can
2: also talk about Landwatch, which is a website that uh, is still out there to this day that I think was back in 2003. It's been around for a long time. What's Landwatch? Landwatch is where you go to buy rural land. So if you want to buy like land up in Maine or North Dakota, South Dakota, or buy a ranch. And is that the brand, Landwatch? It is a brand now, but there's a an interesting backstory behind why Landwatch was created and came around and how a large brand was able to create a nice revaluation for themselves on Wall Street as a result. Okay, so in part
1: two of this interview, which we will publish tomorrow, uh, Jeff and I are gonna talk about how a brand Landwatch was developed from scratch. Brands still around, and it's a super interesting story. This is a campaign back in 2005. But again, I mean, Jeff's got some crazy ideas that have turned into some liquid gold for brands. So if you can't wait to tell our next episode, you want to hear more about Jeff, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. He's also on Twitter, Jeff Greenfield. His company website is provolytics.com. Just one... More note I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes, obviously, we're going to have it on our website, rebrandpod.com. Please subscribe. We're building this online community of marketers. and We're trying to get better every day. That's what it's all about. You can find me on social media. um, It's just at Scott Harkey, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff. TikTok, LinkedIn, and Insta is probably the best. And also, you can subscribe and you get the rebrand podcast right in your feed, whether it's Spotify or Apple. It's right there. So if this is one you love and you're a marketer and you're you're getting better at your game every day, this is the perfect community for you. So please subscribe. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, remember it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.